If you'll join me in prayer. Open our hearts this morning, Lord, to the preaching of your word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your wisdom, guidance, and direction. Amen. Scripture this morning is Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall, shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offering, an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with the beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, praise be to Christ. Thanks for bearing with me while I get all my things together here, for getting used to me learning to get used to these. About six months ago, the text started shaking as I was reading it. Some of you can relate, so go and you buy the plus ones. 
The sermon series, um, what we talk about when we talk about good news is not only because that's what we celebrate with Advent, but also because when the writers of the New Testament talk about the good news, they were often thinking of Isaiah, whose prophecies will teach us if we're up to the challenge. You know, sometimes the Bible is super clear, and we may not like what it says, but we understand it, right? In the book of Proverbs, the writer says, he who hates discipline is stupid. Clear. Whether we agree with it or not, we understand, right? Genesis opens with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that may bring questions to our mind, but we know the point of the text. Isaiah is going to challenge us very differently, Um, and I'll explain that as I go. Um, But if you're up to the challenge, if you will wrestle with especially how Isaiah, or the the words that the Lord gave to Isaiah, move throughout the history of God's people, the past, the present, the future, and even a more distant future. There is so much comfort and hope in what the Lord gave to Isaiah. The good news, because the Lord has anointed me, so this is the Spirit giving Isaiah words that Jesus will then use to describe himself and his work in Luke chapter 4. Hopefully you recognize that. I'll read it in just a moment. But in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. News. To those who know their their literal and their metaphorical need, know their poverty without God's rescuing grace. Know that without a restored relationship with God, they are indeed brokenhearted. That is news that literally changes everything. If you've been in a waiting room in a hospital, you know a little bit about news that can change everything. Good news, bad news, waiting, it's very challenging, especially in that situation. When Isaiah talks about this, and when Jesus takes up the scroll in Luke chapter 4, and then when Paul talks about being in Christ and the good news, they are not talking about something that will make our day a little bit better or a little bit worse. They're talking about news that literally changes everything forever. Isaiah is talking about the day of the Lord, which is something that if you read the prophets is essential to understanding. And they're often talking about both a day that was coming soon to either one or, or both the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel. And they're talking about the fact throughout scripture that injustice will be dealt with. That all suffering will be removed from the earth. The day of the Lord is both a glorious day and a day where the world reckons with all of the pain and evil that it has seen. The reason this is an Advent series is because all of our hymns invite us into the tension of the light that came into the world, and yet we still experience darkness, don't we? I have a friend who is just a little bit younger than me, who for the first time in her life will not see or talk with any family this year. Except maybe me. 
That's dark, isn't it? And it's not the only example I could give just in my own family relationships of pain and darkness. And so when we sing about light, attention is naturally created in us, isn't it? Attention we sometimes can, some of us can compartmentalize better than others. Attention sometimes we're fully aware of when we're singing because emotionally we're, our brains and our emotions are connected in song and we're excited to sing. Last week someone told me they were greatly encouraged by the service and I of course thought it was the sermon because I thought Corey did a great job and he's like, the sermon was fine but it was the music for me. I was like, well, great. And he chuckled. He enjoyed the sermon. It was great. Where's Corey? It had nothing to do with that. He just was moved by the music, wherever you are. But when we are singing about the light and then we experience or are aware of the darkness, that's actually the tension Advent asks us to live in. There you are. It's a great sermon. Thank you for filling in. And it is essential that we grapple with God's promises that all will be set to rights. Hopefully you recognized when Jeff was reading Isaiah. This is from Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins his ministry this way. I'm in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, and on the Sabbath, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, because the Spirit, excuse me, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The good news that Jesus proclaims is good and it is one of everlasting joy. As I'm going to invite you into the tension, or uh, into the challenge of Isaiah, especially time frames of reference, hear this. If that's too much for you, you don't feel like trying to follow me in four different time frames, which is what he's going to invite, hear this. What's the promise? What's the news? It's the end of verse 7. What's the promise? Everlasting joy. That's the promise. That's not all that the promise entails. But hear that. You get nothing else this morning. The good news, what Jesus brings into the world that we receive by faith is everlasting joy. Chapter 61, verse 7. The challenge of Isaiah and of often of the prophets, but I think he is the most prolific in this, is he is talking about Israel's past especially the Exodus, God's constituting of a people, God's creating of the world, constituting of a people, rescuing them from slavery. They continue to turn their back on them. He rescues them again and he reconstitutes them. This is a pattern that explains all of scripture and happens over and over and over again. He's also talking about hope to exiles. The people that first heard this were in exile. They were not living in their home country. He's also talking about Jesus and his ministry, and he's also talking about the new heavens and the new earth. So if you've ever read Isaiah and been like, this is confusing, you're not wrong. 
He's literally talking about four sets of time throughout this passage. And yet, if we will, if we're up to the challenge, our understanding, our foretaste and glimpse, our foretaste of what he's talking about and the glimpses in our imagination, in our mind, they will comfort us. They will motivate us to love God and the neighbors he's put into our life. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. For they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. That's a description of the people of God in the new heavens and the new earth. When it will be obvious to the world who the followers of God truly are. And the nations will come. We'll see this a little bit more next week in chapter 60. The reason we're doing chapter 61 this week and chapter 60 next week is chapter 60 focuses more exclusively on this. And this is throughout the scriptures. Part of the reason that we understand Isaiah is how the writers of the New Testament understood both his talking about the good news and the other things that he would teach. Peter writes it this way. He's a little bit more deliberately echoing the words of the Exodus, but he's also, I believe, thinking about Isaiah when he writes to followers of Christ in the first century, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The good news that Jesus preached, lived out, taught, proved the veracity and truthfulness of with his death and resurrection that he predicted is one of everlasting joy. And we are waiting on verses 5, 6, and 7. The beginning of what's described there will happen when Jesus returns because Advent is not only about the glory of Jesus becoming a human, but is also about his return. And to the extent that your minds and imaginations are gripped by that, your prayer is going to be more argumentative. Because when you're praying for your friend who will have no family this Christmas, you know the promises of God to set all things to rights. And you don't want to wait on that anymore. And you don't want your friend to have to wait on that anymore. And that may sound obscure for our prayers to become more argumentative, but our hearts are put at rest when we actually interact with God as the people of God have throughout the centuries, being honest with Him about how challenging it is to have these beautiful promises and to wait on them to be fulfilled. The good news is one of everlasting joy and of justice. For I, the Lord, love justice, and there is no good news without justice. Every person who has been harmed significantly knows this. 
whether it be by an individual or a system. And the promise of Jesus is to undo that and then recompense it. This is one of the sweetest parts of the good news. If it's not true, what I'm about to say is just going to sound absolutely ridiculous. I'm aware of that. And yet it is the promise of the entirety of the scriptures. Not only that injustice will be undone, the world will be set to rights, but the followers of God will be recompensed. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That is both to wrongdoers and to the followers of God. I believe Jesus was talking about this when he described the rewards of the with God life in the Sermon on the Mount. Isaiah's talking about it here and John's gonna pick up the theme in the book of Revelation. All of the suffering of humankind will not only be undone, it will then be rolled back and we will understand why it happened and we will be recompensed for that pain. I know how ridiculous that sounds. That is the promise not only of Isaiah, not only of Jesus in Matthew 6, but also of the vision that God gave to John in the Revelation. And I'm going to read a little more than we need to because I find the trustworthiness of the Scriptures incredible and sometimes funny in the beauty and mundane of one of the most wild texts of the New Testament. I, John, this is from Revelation chapter 22, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. This is the second time this happens in the book of Revelation. This is John, a disciple. He's been receiving this incredible image of Jesus' return and of the unfolding of all of history in light of God. And he makes the most classic mistake of a theist. He worships the angel instead of God. And this is the second time that the angel's like, we've talked about this. (laughs) And then he says, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. That is something that God accomplishes throughout history as he redeems his people both punishing lawlessness and rescuing. And it will happen in a conclusive way when Jesus returns. And that is good, sweet, hard to imagine, but worth wrestling with truth because we know that injustice rolls over the world. And yet we also know that the one who promised that it will be undone always keeps his promises. And that is a tension we are invited into. And most of our hymns capture this. We sing things we can barely imagine, much less trust in unabashedly. But 
I hope that you trust that God will recompense both evil and his people. It is a sweet, sweet part of the good news. We'll experience some of it in heaven and the rest after Jesus returns and his people are gathered together. And so we rejoice. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, verse 10. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes when it is what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. When our imaginations and our intellect are captivated by the good news, worship flows out of us. And I know you have song preferences and musical preferences, and yet when our minds and our imaginations and our emotions are gripped by the good news, we cannot help but worship God. First, Isaiah gives a poetic and exuberant kind of one-time metaphor for how blessed we are to worship a, a clothing and bridal imagery. Then he gives this poetic, stable image of what God is doing in his people in front of the nations that is slow and broad and beautiful. This is a theme that scripture utilizes all the time. Psalm 1 describes the with God life as you being built up into a tree, stable, able to offer shade, strong. The last verse in chapter 61 is the description of the people of God seen for who they truly are in the eyes of the world. As a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The good news is one of everlasting joy and justice, and so we rejoice. We'll sing this in a few minutes, depending on how I do with my conclusion. I think I'm about done. We'll sing in about two minutes. Because every song is a Christmas song. Every song that extols the good news of Jesus includes the time that we are celebrating more deliberately in this room and around the world. But the good news invites us to be realistic and aware of the darkness around us and to then hope for the second advent. So we indeed praise the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All that we learn from all of Scripture. So while Jesus' incarnation is beautiful, it does not solve all of the pain and injustice that we see and invites us into a more full life. I don't like how I said that, but I think you all got it from earlier in the sermon. So we're just going to stop here and pray. Father, we trust you and ask that you help us to trust you easily, quickly with our temptations, with our time and words. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to earth experiencing the joy and the sorrow 
Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for breath to praise you, for good news that challenges our imaginations and our minds and our emotions. We ask, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you bring us to a place of worship, not just this morning, but this week and this season and throughout our lives. Amen.